Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Tim Wilson. Our most gracious God, as the psalmist declared, heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. Well, what a great, awesome privilege it is to come to your house to worship you, lifting up and magnifying you through our praises and adoration. Continue to fill our minds with your awesome wonder as we thank you for creating us in your own likeness, for redeeming us by your precious blood of your dear Son, and for sanctifying us by your Holy Spirit. Floor our hearts, O minds, O God. With peace and joy, for we are your people, the children according to your promise, the body of Christ Jesus our Lord, and the heirs of your eternal kingdom. Father, we humbly lift up our service members deployed around the world in defense of our nation and freedom. May they accomplish their mission with honor and valor and return home safely to the waiting arms of their loved ones. We pray for your hands of protection and comfort be with them during this time of separation. Lord, this morning we approach the throne of your grace as sinners in need of your forgiveness leaning on your mercy and love, shown so clearly on the cross of Christ, we confess our sins, those known to us that burden our hearts, and those unknown to us but seen by you. We know that before you nothing remains hidden, and in you everything is revealed. O Lord, please forgive us of all our sins, and free us from the slavery of sin. Liberate us from the bondage of guilt, and cleanse our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Lord, we also ask that you bless those who couldn't be here with us today, grant safety for those who are traveling, and give comfort to those who are sick. Father, we are about to offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. O God, may your spirit continue to fill us and guide us as we worship you in spirit and truth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Please join me in the reading of the scripture in Joshua, chapter 2, and it can be found in your pew Bible on page 331. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, 
The men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a greater fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives you the, us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days, until their pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Good morning to you. I think I know everyone here, but there's a couple of faces I don't think I recognize. So my name's Tim Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here at All-American Chapel. And last week we started a new sermon series on Joshua. And we're going to look at Joshua chapter 2 this morning. In fact, we've already heard the entire chapter read. But before we get to Joshua, I want you to know that I like people from history that are characters. People with a lot of spunk. People that are quotable. You know, when, when you read about them, you, you just hear about things that they said and it's funny or it's inspiring. 
or it's something that the chaplain can work, use for the chaplain's word for the day. Uh, Winston Churchill was one of those guys. Some of you are smiling. You're like, yeah, that guy was crazy. He was, actually. And that's some of our greatest leaders were just right on the edge of insanity. That was Winston Churchill. But he was a wonderful leader. Um, but he's funny. Um, he had a, a, a famous feud with a lady. Her name escapes me right now. But they just always back and forth. And in one public setting, she said, uh, Churchill, if you were my husband... I would put poison in your wine. To which he replied, Madam, if you were my wife, I would drink it. He's character, you know? All kinds of great things that he would say. I'd like to share with you one of his quotes this morning that really summarizes what we just heard about in Joshua chapter 2. Listen to this. To each, there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing, unique to them and fitted to their talents. What a tragedy if that moment finds them unprepared or unqualified for that which could have been their finest hour. That's Joshua chapter 2. That quote summarizes what happened to this lady named Rahab. Rahab was tapped on the shoulder by God and given an opportunity to save herself and her family. And that decision she made not only became her finest hour, but it also put her on the path of total devotion to God. We're going to look at the life of Rahab, or at least one snippet of the life of Rahab as is talked about in Joshua chapter 2. But again, before we get to Joshua 2, I want us to take a step back and remember all of the things that, that Ivan Aragin shared with us last week. Wasn't that a good message last week? He did such a great job. But he took us on this Blackhawk ride. Do you remember that? We're in the Blackhawk, and we get this bird's eye view of what's been taking place and what's about to take place in the book of Joshua. In the Blackhawk, we see where God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. And then for 40 years, they were wandering in the desert, but God continued to provide for them and to protect them. And now, they're right in this town called Shittim, or in this little area called Shittim, east of Canaan, right on the precipice of entering the promised land. And on this Black Hawk ride, what did God say to Joshua in chapter 1? Do not be afraid. Be strong, be courageous, for I'm with you wherever you go. And then he gave him this challenge. And the challenge was, listen to what I have to say. Obey my word. Chaplain Aragin told us last week that total devotion equals listening to and obeying God's word. So Joshua and the children of Israel received this message right before they enter the promised land. And now we land this black hawk. And instead of looking at the bird's eye view of everything that's going on, now we look at one specific story. One specific lady and her interaction with two spies. So let me ask you a question. Who is Rahab? Well, Hebrew scholars tell us that she was probably an innkeeper. Her house was built into the wall of Jericho. 
And traveling merchants would come and stay in her home as they're coming through the city. Also, we read in verse 6, Mrs. Cook read that just a moment ago. In verse 6, they talked about flax being on the roof of her home. That was a plant that could be used to make linen, and it was also used to make rope. And so probably she and her family used the flax as a side business, as a side job. They were selling linen, they were selling rope, they opened up their home as an inn. So it's safe to say that Rahab is a business lady. But that is not how the Bible describes her, is it? Let's look in verse 1. What did the Bible say about Rahab? Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a business lady? Kind of. They went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. This is why you typically don't hear about Rahab in children's Sunday school classes. Bottom line up front, no getting around it. She's a prostitute. And she's not just some ordinary prostitute. In fact, when you look through the the Jewish commentaries, the rabbis say that there were four women that according to them were the most beautiful women in the world. One was Sarah. The other was Abigail. The third was Esther. And the fourth, Rahab. One of the most beautiful women that the world had ever seen. In fact, the rabbi said that even at the mere mention of her name, she was so beautiful it would cause men's hearts to melt. She's a beautiful lady. And by the time we read about her in Joshua chapter 2, she's been a prostitute for about 40 years. This beautiful woman who had been in this notorious occupation. She wasn't just an average call girl. Everybody knew about Rahab. And so the question comes to my mind, why in the world is this included in the Bible? Because it makes the preacher kind of uncomfortable to talk about prostitutes in front of the church. Why does the Bible include people like this? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you read Genesis to Revelation, the Bible includes not only prostitutes, but thieves. Liars, traitors, murderers, people whose lives are jacked up. Why does the Bible include people like that in these stories? Because you and I are jacked up, aren't we? Because you and I need someone we can relate to. Because most of the time on a daily basis, we're like, I am not good enough to have a relationship with the Holy God. I'm not going to church anymore because you know what? It's just too hard. And if everybody knew who I really was, then they probably wouldn't let me even in the building. You ever had that conversation go on in your head? Some of you look great this morning. You're like, no, chaplain, that's not me. I deserve to be here. You know. But most of us are like, wow. When I read about liars in the Bible, I can relate. When I read about people stealing stuff, I can relate I can relate to these people who have problems in their lives. 
why does the Bible include these stories about people who are notorious, who are sinners? The Bible includes these stories to help us to understand that none of us are too far from the grace of God. Let me say that one more time. None of us, none of you, are too far from the grace of God. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Do you get that? The ground's level. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the sooner that you grasp a hold of that reality, the closer you are to God's salvation. What you did last week will not keep you from Christ today. Do you understand that? Nothing that you've done will keep you from trusting in Christ today. The Bible includes the story of a prostitute in Joshua chapter 2 to let us know that we're all sinners, that we all have issues. Rahab was a sinner, just like you and just like me. She was a sinner who feared God. She was a sinner who feared God. Look at verse 8 with me. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when we came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Did you catch a theme there in those few verses that we just read? What's the word that you heard over and over again? Say it to me. You didn't catch it. Fear. She's afraid. The people of Jericho are afraid. Why are they so afraid? Well, let's put this in perspective. If we were to read the book of Exodus again, we would hear about how God, as the children of Israel are wandering through the desert, that God would put a pillar of fire ahead of them every night. And that God would cover them with a cloud during the day as they traveled to protect them. Now we've read that they're now right on the edge of the promised land in this place called Shittim. Shittim's about 10 miles from Jericho. And where is Rahab's house? It's on the wall of Jericho. Maybe... From her window, as she looked out at night, she would see, about 10 miles away, this pillar of fire. Think about it. There's about 620,000 people, that 620,000 men that are of fighting age in Israel at this point. We don't know how many women and children are there. Hundreds of thousands of people. So it has to be a pretty large pillar of fire in the sky, correct? Can you imagine what that would do in someone's psyche as they see this pillar of fire coming towards their city? And all these travelers that are coming to stay in Rahab's house, what are they talking about? They're talking about Israel. 
did you hear that their God parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground? Did you hear what they did to Egypt? Did you hear that they're coming? Did you hear that they're only about 10 miles away from Jericho? And what does the Bible say is happening in their hearts? They're afraid. The fear is growing. It's funny, when you, when you think about that and you read about what happened right when they first came to the to promised land, when the 12 spies went to, into the promised land, what did they say? We're afraid because they're going to take over us. There's no way that we can take these people in the promised land. But then we get to the book of Joshua. Who's afraid now? The Canaanites. Their hearts are melting because God's coming. God's coming. He's going to take over. God's coming. Most of us want to avoid fear, don't we? But there's such a thing as holy fear, which is healthy. It puts life into perspective. In fact, John 16, 8, it says that the Holy Spirit convicts us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit brings about this healthy fear in our life to help us to recognize who we really are just like Rahab we're sinners our lives are jacked up especially when you compare us to a holy God and ladies and gentlemen that holy God that was creating fear in the people of Jericho because he's right on the edge of their city and because they know he's coming that same God is the God that we read about in the New Testament who became flesh and dwelt among us, who died on a cross to pay for, our, pay for our sins, who three days later he rose from the grave and then he ascended into heaven. And the scripture says that that same God is coming again, not as a baby in a manger, but he's coming as a conquering king. And that should create this holy fear in you and in me. Because we, we compare ourselves to a holy God, we recognize that unless there's a drastic change in our lives, we're not ready for him to come. Rahab has this holy fear that's taking over. She recognizes who she is in light of a holy God that's coming. And unless a drastic change takes place, she's going to face judgment. She's afraid. Now, the scripture says that everybody in Jericho is afraid. But Rahab's the only one that's experiencing what we've just described, holy fear. Because Rahab's fear made her realize that she needed to make a drastic change. She needed to turn to the God of the universe and trust in him. Essentially, she recognized, I need to change teams here. Because this is the winning team. Jericho's going down. But what did the fear cause everyone else in Jericho to do? They didn't say, we're going to trust God too. They said, we're afraid, so we're going to fight God. <laughs> we're going to trust in our own resources, and we're going to fight against God's people. Being afraid is not a good thing if it doesn't lead you to make the right changes in your life. That's just like me saying, I'm afraid of getting hit by a car by standing in the road. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to brace myself, and I'm going to get ready for that car. 
and I'm going to stare it down. We're going to play chicken right now. I'm not afraid of you, car, even though I know he's going to run over me. Ah, that's foolish. Some of you are like, chaplain, you've lost your mind. What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. Ladies and gentlemen, people do that on a daily basis. They have this sense that, you know what? Things aren't right in my life. But instead of turning to a gracious God who says he will change me and he will save me, no, I'm just going to stand here in my own strength and my own power. Bring it on. That makes about as much sense as standing in a road with an oncoming car. Holy fear causes us to recognize we need to make a change. And Rahab said, I need to make a change. A decision needs to be made. Ladies and gentlemen, where are you at? You might be thinking right now, yeah, chaplain, I'm just like Rahab. I've got issues going on in my life. And as you're talking about this, and you said, you know what? Jesus is coming again. In fact, he might be coming again very soon. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to face a holy God. You feel that holy fear rising up within you. That's a good thing. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit telling you to turn from living life your own way. To don't trust in the God of the Canaanites anymore. Don't trust in your own resources anymore. Instead, turn to this holy God who loves you and has provided a way of salvation for you through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, he's powerful. Yes, he's holy. But he is also gracious. And he wants you to make a decision to trust in him today. Rahab did that. In fact, look at how this decision played out with Rahab. Look in, in um, well, I went too far in my notes here. There we go, verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, they came to me. But I didn't know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. Two things I want you to catch with what just happened. First of all, Rahab's decision to take care of the spies and ultimately to go to God, as we read about earlier, and, and to trust in them to save her from the impending destruction, Hindsight shows us that she made the right decision, correct? However, at this point, you need to understand the risk that Rahab was taking. She's decided to become a traitor to her own people. In Canaan, they didn't treat traitors kindly. In fact, history tells us that if they caught someone who was a traitor, they'd gouge their eyes out. 
and then they would cut their tongues off. And then if, if they lived through that torture, they would drag them through the streets and stone them and everyone in their family. It's pretty drastic. And she has this going through her mind because she's seen what they've done to traitors. It's a risk. But she recognizes it's a risk worth taking. Am I going to go with my people, with my culture, with what they're saying is right? Or am I going to take a risk and make a decision and say, you know what, I'm all in. I'm trusting in the God of heaven and the God of earth. You and I know she made the right decision. But understand the risk that she was taking at this point. And the reason why I bring that up is, ladies and gentlemen, some of you right now are deciding whether you're going to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whether you're going to follow Him. Whether you're going to say, you know what, I'm all in. I've been hearing about Christianity all my life, but I'm deciding today I'm going all in. I want you to know that you're going to be taking a risk if you do that. I don't get any credit from the Army Chaplain Corps whether you accept Christ today or not. I don't have a tallied list where they're going to be like, wow, we have this number of people. No, they don't care about those things. I just want you to know the risk up front in what the decision that you're going to make. Now, the scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that when Jesus comes back, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. People will be kneeling before their Savior, those who've accepted Christ, who've placed their faith in Him. But most everyone else on that day will be kneeling before their judge. So the risk is not the outcome of history. You don't have to worry about that if you become a Christian. The end of the story is Christ in all of his glory. Remember that a few weeks ago? That's the end. So the outcome's good. I'm talking about the here and the now. Just like Rahab recognized that I'm going to have to separate myself from Jericho. That's what it means when you and I say, Jesus, you're going to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm making the decision to follow you. That means that we separate ourselves. We become different. That doesn't mean that we have to live in different neighborhoods. That doesn't mean we have to dress completely differently, although it should mean some changes in our life. But it does mean that there's going to be this risk that we take. People are going to say, you talk differently. You have different standards. You have different morals. You have different values. I'm not comfortable hanging out with you anymore. Why don't you act like us? Why don't you go to the same places that we do? The relationships that you choose. The occupations that you choose. Everything changes because now we're on the path to total devotion to God. And as history moves on, Christians become more and more the minority. Not just people who sign on a piece of paper saying I'm a Christian, but people who have truly trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're becoming more and more of a minority. You need to recognize it's a risk, but it's a risk worth taking because we know the God who's coming and we know our need for Him to have a relationship with Him. It's a risk worth taking. 
So that's one of the reasons why this is included in the Scripture. But also, some of you have already caught on to this. So Rahab's first act of devotion is a lie. And some of you, you're going to go home and you're going to eat lunch today with your children. You're going to have to talk about not only what else we've all talked about with Rahab, but she's also, her first act of devotion to God and his people is she lies. And some of your children are going to bookmark Joshua chapter 2. They're going to say, see, it's okay, Mom. It's okay, Dad. No. That's not why the Scripture includes this in here. This is the story of redemption coming to an imperfect person. People who come to the community of faith are imperfect people with lots of baggage. And here this woman is, Rahab, with this life of prostitution. She's in survival mode. And the first thing she does is she lies. This is the only thing I know to do at this point. And you and I should recognize that and say, wow, when people are new converts to Christianity, when people are new to the family of faith, when people are new to coming to chapel, ladies and gentlemen, they're not going to come with perfect lives, are they? They're going to come with issues. They're going to come with problems. They're on the path to total devotion, but they're in that redemption process. And we don't need to come with these large judgmental eyes saying, look at that, what's wrong with them? Nope, we're not going to accept them. Oh, wow, they've got some major issues. I don't think I want them on my team. No. They come with problems. And if God accepts them, on this path to total devotion and he works in their lives to redeem them and to change them some quickly some slowly we need to treat them with the same grace and the same mercy in fact Jesus said it this way before you look at the speck in someone else's eye look at the log in your own I've got large logs in my eyes God reminds me of that on a regular basis Normal is only a setting on a dryer. All of us are abnormal. All of us have problems. And God includes Joshua too, specifically Rahab and her lie to show us that even people who have made that decision to be all in, they've made that decision to trust in the God of heaven and earth for their salvation, they still are going to have issues. They still have problems. But how does God respond to this imperfect woman and her decision to trust him? Let's look again at, at this verse. Verse 17. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when you enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. 
she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Does that sound familiar? Does that remind you of other things in the scripture? This scarlet cord in the window. Do you remember what the children of Israel had to do on the night of the Passover? They put something scarlet in the doorway, didn't they? The blood of the lamb. Scholars say that this reminds us of what took place on Passover. It reminds us of the blood that was put on the doorpost as the children of Israel were saved from Egypt. And that act symbolizes the scarlet blood of Christ, which was the payment for our sins. This scarlet cord tied to the window was not just a sign of Rahab's redemption. It is a reminder of the scarlet cord running throughout Scripture for our redemption. It's reminding us of this is how God works. God is saying, I, I'm going to honor this decision that you've made. You've placed your faith and your trust in me, and this scarlet cord in the window is going to be a reminder that I have accepted your faith and your trust in me. But Rahab's story doesn't just stop with this agreement with the spies. In Joshua 6, we see how all of Israel made good on this agreement as Rahab and her family are saved from the destruction brought on Jericho. But then it gets even better. Rahab's mentioned three times in the New Testament. This decision that she made, we see that she was totally incorporated into the family of faith. If you're to read the book of Hebrews, this is what Hebrews says about Rahab. She's in the faith hall of fame. Look at Rahab, this lady who was a prostitute, this lady who was a liar. She made a decision to trust the God of heaven and earth. Look at her as your example of faith. Gets even better than that. James, when he's talking about the, the power of work and how our faith should lead to the fruit of work in our life, he says, look at Rahab. She's the example of someone whose faith became work in her life. And it gets even better than that when you go to the book of Matthew. The scripture tells us that she married this man named Salmon. Horrible name, Salmon. Can you imagine? But anyway, Salmon is her husband, who is the great-great-grandfather of King David. And who is in the line of David? Jesus. God honored this decision by including her in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself fully incorporated into the family of faith. That decision that she made, I'm all in. I'm leaving Jericho behind. I'm all in. I'm taking that risk. I'm trusting you, God. The God of heaven and the God of earth said, I will honor your faith in me. I'm a trustworthy God. And you and I need to be reminded of that because some of you are right now on the precipice of entering the promised land. Oh, I don't know if I want to trust God or not. I think I want to trust in my own resources. You know, I'm doing pretty good selling linen and scarlet rope back here. I can do that. I've got this job as an innkeeper. I think I'm going to keep doing that. I've got this other job that we'll not mention right now. These are, I'm going to trust in my own resources. Or I don't want to leave my culture. I don't want to leave my friends. I don't want to be that guy who's, or gal who seemed as being an oddball. I want to fit in. 
I want to fit in with my unit. I don't want people to think I'm different. But God's saying, trust me. Trust me. My plan is best for you. I'm trustworthy. I've done everything to provide for your salvation. I've done everything to fill that void in your heart and in your soul. Trust me. All those other things will only lead to destruction. I'm coming back. I'm coming again, and I want you to be ready for me. Rahab is the first Gentile conversion recorded in Scripture. Her story is held up by religious scholars as the example of a complete conversion. She recognized, apart from the God of heaven and earth, she had no hope. And she took a risk to trust him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, morning is a special moment. God, through his word, is tapping you on the shoulder and offering you a chance to do a very special thing. And whether you realize it or not, everything that's been happening in your life up to this moment has been preparing you for this decision. Will you recognize your need to make a change and trust in God's plan of salvation? This is your moment to decide. Am I all in? Am I on that path to total devotion to God? Am I going to trust in the God of heaven and earth and his plan of salvation? I recognize that my life's jacked up, and unless there's a drastic change, I'm not ready for when Christ comes back. I need him in the here and now to trust me, and, to, to lead me in, in my life. And I'm willing to risk it all. I'm willing to make that decision. I'm willing to trust him this morning. This is my hour, and I'm ready for it. God's tapping me on the shoulder. He's telling me I need to trust him. Let's pray. Father, you see every person in this room. You see where they're at in their relationship with you, and you see the decision that you want them to make. Give them wisdom to make that decision. Give them courage to step out. Help them to have faith to say, I'm all in. I'm trusting you, Christ, as my Lord and Savior. Please, Lord, work amongst your people today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.